TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host... Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brown has been a, it's a treat. It's a privilege to have Ari Fleischer with us, a former White House press secretary from January 2001 to 2003. Uh, he was a primary spokesperson for President Bush. And he was there during the historic presidential recount, September 11th, two wars and the anthrax attacks. He wrote a best-selling book, Taking Heat, and he runs a communication company that helps corporations and sports organizations. You can see him on Fox, and he's also a member of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Good to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You got my bio exactly right. I understand that your mother had a lot of relatives that lost during the Holocaust. Did you grow uh, up hearing about the Holocaust? Of course I did. Um, yeah, uh, I remember going to Hungary, where, where my mother fled from. In 19, she got out in July of 39 with her family. And I remember going back to Hungary when it was under the Soviet Union, under communism, in 1972. And I met my Uncle Lutzi, my grandmother's brother. And... He had the tattoo on his forearm with his numbers from the camp he was in. And I learned about my, my uncle Jula, who was thrown in the Danube by the Hungarians, the Iron Cross, working with the Nazis. So how can you not be Jewish and not have somebody? How did that impact you growing up and even today? You know, it's a funny thing. You're, you know, I was born in 1960, 15 years after World War II ended. So for me, you know, it's... For anybody young, it's something you're told about. You can't connect to it. You know, it's it's something that you you know, you learn about the Holocaust, you meet your relatives, you hear the story of survivors. I'm one generation distant. I think it hit me more as an adult. I learned more as an adult about how dangerous this world can be, how anti-Semitic this world can be in some parts not most parts some parts of this world and it motivates me to always fight for israel protect israel and keep a close eye on the on the importance of preserving our jewish heritage no it's important uh, certainly did you encounter anti-semitism in all your positions and whether growing up or in your corporate life you know, God bless the United States. I encountered anti-Semitism in middle school. I still remember the names of the kids who threw pennies at me in middle school. I remember the name of the kid who I got into a fight in the locker room in, in gym when he called me a dirty Jew. But that was middle school. And I'm happy to say since then, I've never encountered anti-Semitism. You know, I suppose on Twitter, I shouldn't suppose, on Twitter people hurl things at me. You know, that's social media. But I'm proud of the United States of America where this type of intolerance is limited to the extraordinary, extraordinary fringes. We are an accepting country, a tolerant country. It's been the hallmark of America's founding, and we shouldn't forget that. We have to be vigilant and call anti-Semitism what it is wherever it's found. 
But I rejoice in the fact that the two greatest countries where Jews can be free are the United States of America and Israel. True. Even though anti-Semitism is growing in this country, unfortunately. It's growing, but it's also quite limited. And I think people need to bear that in mind when we look at our fellow Americans. And that's why I say God bless the United States of America. This is the country that took my parents, my mother in, with her grand, her father and her mother and her brother, my grandparents. And I can't tell you, every time I hear just one syllable of a Hungarian accent somewhere, it right away throws me back to my mom talking to her parents. And I love it. And they could do that in America. And they could grow. I remember one day I asked my mother why she identified as a Jew before she identified as a Hungarian. And she said to me, because she was never allowed to identify as a Hungarian. And it struck me like a thunderbolt. In this country, we Americans, we can proudly call ourselves Americans. We can proudly call ourselves Jews. We can be both and we can go back and forth and be both. When she came here, it was because they made her leave her homeland because she was Jewish. So, yes, anti-Semitism is on the rise in the United States, but it's still limited to very small pockets. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be tough. But I rejoice in the tolerance of America. You should know a lot of listeners that we have in Brooklyn come from Hungary, from Orthodox backgrounds, and either their children or themselves. So I know they can relate to what you're saying. So <laughs> I don't speak in German, but I'm sure some of them can translate what that what that means. Now I, think I just used about fifty percent of the words that I know. <laughs> Certainly it's well Hungary today unfortunately is also seeing a lot of anti Semitism. I was there a couple of years ago and it's growing there too. Unfortunately it's a, it's not just here in this country, but around the world. Anti Semitism, anti Israel feeling has been growing. Now, one of the things that a lot of survivors or people came to this country, immigrant Jewish immigrants, they became Democrats. The Yiddish expression was Demvelt, Yenemvelt, and Roosevelt. This world, that world, and Roosevelt, right? You've you heard that. Your parents, right? You heard that? I never heard that. I, I got it as you said it, even though I don't spoke Yiddish. I think the Roosevelt gave it away. So, but your parents were staunch Democrats. Did they, did they disown you when you became a Republican? Yes. <laughs> I'll never forget. No more Hungarian goulash. <laughs> During the recount in Florida in 2000, I, I remember being on the phone with my mother back in New York. I was in Texas, and she said to me, Now, Ari, you, you know Al Gore won Florida, right? Uh, so, yeah, my parents kind of couldn't believe that I became a Democrat. They couldn't believe I went to work for George W. Bush. Uh, they were proud Democrats. Um but, you know, I entered college in Middlebury, Vermont in 1978, a proud liberal myself. I was I went to B'nai Jeshman for nursery school, so I, I was an Upper West Side liberal by the age of four. Oh, and uh-huh. I, I couldn't stand Jimmy Carter. I just thought Jimmy Carter was so weak as an 18-year-old. And I fell in love with Ronald Reagan, with his patriotism, with his optimism, his belief in peace through strength. Really had an impact on me after watching Carter's weakness. Then I changed parties shortly after graduating from Middlebury, which, by, by the way, makes me the only person in the history of the state of Vermont to enter it a liberal and leave it a conservative. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can you talk to Bernie Sanders, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not much hope for Bernie. Now, you mentioned that you didn't like Jimmy Carter. Who would you say was the worst American president on your watch that you've seen? 
Well, after watching what's happening in Afghanistan, I've got to say Joe Biden is starting to give Jimmy Carter a run for his money. Um, You know, I really do believe in peace through strength. I believe in deterrence. And I believe that that is the best way you protect freedom. Look at Israel. Look how Israel will not bow. They won't even contract out their defense to anybody. They take care of it themselves. And that's why they're strong. That's why they're free. That's why they're feared. That's why four Arab nations made peace with Israel, because they recognize that Israel is on the side of actual security, freedom, and opportunity in the Middle East. They're not the enemy anymore. Iran is. So peace through strength actually brings about peace, doesn't it? And I wish that was a lesson that Joe Biden had learned. Well, one thing I don't understand, and maybe you can, I know you're a commentator on television as well, is that whatever Donald Trump, it was like the old Groucho Marx song, whatever it is, I'm against it regarding Donald Trump, except with the, with the exception of Afghanistan. Whatever policy Donald Trump did, he reversed, except Afghanistan. I don't understand why. Um, but it was a debacle, and look where we are today. You were there September 11th, we went to fight the Taliban, and now we're giving arms and recognition to them. Zeb, what a great point. Absolutely. Just just take Trump's remain in Mexico policy, where if you want to come to the United States as an immigrant, you've got to apply legally. And if you do try to come as a refugee, you need to wait in Mexico for us to properly process you. You're safe once you're in Mexico. You're no longer in Colombia or any of the nations from which you fled. Remain in Mexico. He reversed it. It was an agreement we had with the Mexican government. So now we have an agreement with the Taliban, and he can't reverse it. And it was an agreement the Taliban failed to live up to. So we had all legal grounds to reverse it. No, this was Joe Biden wanted to cut and run. And when American presidents want to cut and run, things go wrong. And that is what happened. Look, there's a simple reason that this is the largest evacuation in history. It's because it was the largest abandonment in history. If this had been done well, if this has been done properly, Our people, as well as our Afghan friends, would have been exiting for months on commercial aircraft through safe corridors guarded by Americans along with Afghans, and that's how we should have gone out. So the only reason it's this big is because our failure was this big. Now, you are in the White House. Who is advising President Biden? How It seems to me that he's not operating by himself. So what's going on here? What can you glean is what's really going on? Well, I think what's really going on is Joe Biden is making decisions. He, he is the president, and I don't think he's under the thumb or influence of anybody one way or another. All presidents get advice, but fundamentally they, they decide. And in the case of Joe Biden, I think Joe Biden's fatal flaw is he's been around so long, he thinks he knows so much, as he famously said to Barack Obama, the generals will jam you, as the former defense secretary, Bob Gates, for Secretary Obama, said Biden's always had a problem with the military. And so he thinks he knows better than the generals and he won't let himself get jammed. So I think here he just said to the generals, get out. Here's the date. Get out. I don't care how you do it. Just get out. And you're not getting more troops. We're not putting more in there than the 2,500 who were there when I started my administration. So he gave the military no choice. They hamstrung the military. They couldn't keep Bagram open with that small a number. And he wouldn't send increased numbers in. This is what happens when your orders are to bug out. Everything that follows and flows goes wrong. But even giving Kabul to to the Taliban, where they said, hey, we're not going to go into uh, um, Kabul, and he said, take it. 
And this, I just don't understand that. If you want to secure Americans, how do you give them control of where your airport is? Heartbreaking. That was reported in the Washington Post. But the Taliban on August 15th, just as they surrounded Kabul, made clear to us, you can run security in the city or we can run it. And the general in charge, knowing his directions from Joe Biden, said, you run security in the city, we'll just do the airport. That's what led to chaos and mayhem. You know, can you imagine... If, when, when my mother fled to come to this country, could you imagine if she had to flee Afghanistan through that mayhem at the airport? America has always been for an orderly process of getting people legally into the United States, particularly our friends. We abandoned that cause. We abandoned that mission in Afghanistan. We turned Americans and Afghans to the mercies of the Taliban and to the, the tormented feeling they had to have as they, in despair, showed up at that airport only to find they couldn't get through. And what about the fact that there are $82 billion worth of the top most sophisticated American weaponry that now the Taliban has, which they don't even need all that weaponry, which means they're going to be selling it, and China and Russia are going to be yeah. beneficiary. Yeah, there's a lot of bad guys around the world about to get fully armed, and this is how the Taliban is going to make a lot of money. Look, you know, there's a lot about Donald Trump that was controversial, but one thing for sure. When he said he was going to blow that material to smithereens and never let it fall in enemy hands, I believe him. I am certain that is exactly what he would have done. This is the guy who took out Qasem Soleimani, the top Iranian general. This is the guy who dropped the Moab, the mother of all bombs, on the Taliban. This is the guy who has been tough at every stage along the way, reinforced the red line in Syria, actually did something about it. I have no doubt that's what he would have done to that material. He would never have let it fall into enemy hands. And that's called peace through strength. That's called leadership. We've seen an abandonment of it now. Look, at a certain levels of it, I just have to tell you, it comes down to the decision made by one singular soul in the Oval Office. The decision is either get out and abandon it or take it out before we leave. And once the president gives that instruction, everyone falls into line. Yeah, but if you want to leave, and he knew months ago he wanted to leave, don't you set things in motion, start evacuating people, evacuate the military hardware? It seemed like this was just last minute. Okay, we're, we're leaving now, and within a week we're going without even much thought. I just don't understand. If you want, I, I listen. I, I I think it was a bad move to leave Afghanistan. I think we could have helped a small presence, propped up the Afghan military, and the status quo would have prevailed, which it did for the last eighteen months. But even if you say, let's get out of here, how do you just do it at the last minute? It's, it's just unbelievable. It makes Saigon look swordly. And just the sequence. The sequence, of course, should have been that we get out civilians, we get out the equipment, and then we get out our military. And anything left behind just prior to our military getting out, we destroy. What did Joe Biden do? He got the military out first. And then he had to send the military back when it was clear what a blunder it was. And three times the numbers that we used to have in the military over in Afghanistan. A blunder throughout as a result of Biden knowing smarter, being better than the generals, saying, just get out. I don't care. Get out. Terrible judgment, terrible decision making, which has really been Joe Biden's hallmark in foreign policy for 40 years. We're speaking with Ari Fleischer. He's a former White House press secretary, well, has his own communications company. He's a board member of the Republican Jewish Coalition. We're going to be right back. Don't go away.
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Our guest is former White House Press Secretary from 2001 to 2003, Ari Fleischer. He served as a spokesman during 9-11 and uh, two wars and the anthrax attacks. He has his own communication and sports media company, and he's a contributor to Fox and board member of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Donald Trump certainly is the face of the Republican Party today. Are you comfortable with that? Yes and no. Uh, I've been very public about this. I criticize Donald Trump when he does things I disagree with, and I praise him when he does things I agree with. You know, my, my biggest issue with Donald Trump was he was too hot to handle. He would do things and go too far, say things, interfere in the Department of Justice in ways that are not appropriate for the White House, and presidents should not do that. On the other hand, his policies, particularly his foreign policies, his defense policies were really good. Just the fact that four Arab nations made peace agreements with Israel, unprecedented, unheard of. It wouldn't have happened without Donald Trump, and we should never forget that. Prior to the pandemic, after the tax cuts and the deregulatory policies of Trump, the poverty rate in America was the lowest since 1959. Child poverty, the lowest since 1959. You know, we Jews would call that a mitzvah. We are focused on social justice as a people, aren't we? He delivered it. He delivered help to those who needed it the most. And the fact is that incomes for lower-income Americans and middle-income Americans rose twice as fast as incomes for upper-income Americans for two years prior to the pandemic. He led the way to a booming blue-collar economy, and that's what we should hope for. So there's a lot about Donald Trump that his policies were really good, his tweets were really bad. So he's changed the face of the Republican Party. So in upcoming elections, is he the standard bearer? Is that where the party is? Because we're so fractured today, people either love him or hate him, but yet he's extremely popular with the Republican base. Is that make it more complicated for the Republican Party to win? Yes, it's more complicated. There's no question. But Donald Trump was unique. He was the definition of unique. There's never going to be another president like like Donald Trump with with how – voluble he was, the things he would say, how much he would push. Um, I think the future for the Republican Party is to have an outsider, populist, pro-religion, conservative, muscular foreign policy, but who's got that same populist outsider skepticism about Washington that Trump had without saying crazy things that scare people. I think that's the future for the Republican Party. I don't think it's that hard a future to fulfill. 
But I think if Donald Trump wants to run, then I'm hearing that there's a good possibility he will. If he decides he's going to run, then nobody else is going to really get it. He's going to get the Republican nod. Maybe, maybe not. I, I think he goes in as the favorite. But the key is going to be, is he running against only one person, maybe two people, or a field of people? If it's a field of people, Donald Trump will certainly become the nominee just by virtue of math. It's divide and conquer. The anti-Trump vote will split. Trump will win a plurality. Uh, if it's one person, I don't rule out that that's a fair fight between one outsider and Donald Trump, another outsider. It could be Tom Cotton. It could be Ted Cruz. We don't know enough yet. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. One on one. Here are the factors you have to look into. One, Donald Trump's age. He'll be 78. How's his health? Two, how's Trump polling? If every poll shows that Donald Trump is losing to Biden or losing to Harris, but all the other polls show that a Cruz or a DeSantis or a Cotton or a Haley are beating Biden and uh, and and, um, and uh, the Vice President Kamala Harris, that's going to hurt Trump really bad. And then three, how many opponents does he have in that primary? Those are the three factors as a professional that my eye is on to determine whether or not Donald Trump can win a primary. And if he does run, if he does win, you know, I will make the case he's right on policy. Has he learned enough about calming things down and not going too far on certain issues? And I think we all need to keep our eye on that. You know, I'm against that Facebook and Twitter banned him. But I, but having said that, I wish they would have banned him four months before they did. He probably would have won. <laughs> that might be right. <laughs> Is the Afghanistan debacle going to hurt Joe Biden in the midterm elections and the I, Democratic I, yes, Party? Yes, it will. The idea that people will have just forgotten this and turned their back on it is not going to happen. This cuts too much to the core because of September 11th. Because when America commits and America goes in to fight a war, to fight a mission, we don't like to lose. And this has all the feelings of loss. But we have a short memory, so even though today we lost a year from now, will it really be, play such a major role, especially if the economy is good? You know, I do think it will play a major role. I, I, I just do. And especially for independent voters, for, for your classic Republican voters, this is not one of those shiny objects that people forget about in a month or just in weeks. This, this is going to linger. Uh, certainly we have another, well, 14 months until the election. A lot of other things will happen. Um, but, you, you know, Zev, if it's like what happened the last time America withdrew prematurely from Iraq and ISIS was formed and we had to go back, this could get even worse in Afghanistan. So we don't know what the future holds, but this sure doesn't feel right. You talked about Donald Trump before and about what he did. He was a strong supporter of Israel, I think extremely strong supporter of Israel. I spoke to some of the religious Jews that were in the administration. I was informed that there was a glot kosher kitchen in the White House, and they even had a sukkah during the holiday, and some days they had a prayer quorum for Mincha. Yeah, and the press called him anti-Semitic. And the fact that he had Jewish grandkids. <laughs> and a daughter, a Jewish daughter. Yeah, yeah, who converted. So, but Correct. Is, is the media out of control? Yes. How do we, know, con I, how do we control I'm writing a the book media? about this. And the, the biggest problem is the American people no longer think they can get accurate news from the media. And it's not just Republicans. It's across the board. And it's because the press runs with narratives. They run with editorials in the news pages. How else could they say 
that he is anti-Semitic. Do you remember when he took office, there were a wave of bomb threats to JCCs across the United States, and the press blamed it on Trump. They said he's created the atmosphere for this. They said it's likely Trump supporters. It turned out to be a troubled Israeli teenager and a deranged liberal journalist in the United States who were calling in the bomb threats, the phony bomb threats to the JCCs. But the press blamed it on Trump, and they called Trump an anti-Semite. How can you faithfully report like that, and then the truth comes out and hold your head high? And they kept doing it throughout his presidency on the issue of collusion, on one issue after another. The press got it wrong about Donald Trump. Why? Because they didn't like him. Well, they built, they, built, they, helped, they, helped, they helped build him up, and once they saw that he was successful, they tried to bring him down as much as they could. There's that, too, yes, especially CNN. I want to reflect. You were there on September 11th when the when we had the World Trade Center bombings, and then we went after the Taliban in Afghanistan. I want you to, re, to reflect about those, that period of time when you were in the White House. Yeah. And, you know, this is why I'm so upset that Joe Biden declared September 11th the day to bring home the troops. September 11th is a day to remember. It's, it should not be confused with anything else. It's a day to remember the families of those who still suffer today because they lost their loved ones, 3,000 almost. And if you're going to pick a date, make it October 7th, a symbolic date, 20 years after the counterattack in Afghanistan. But September 11th, the only time since Pearl Harbor, an attack on our nation's shore. And to this day, it's, it haunts me. The sorrow, the pain, the difficulty. And we should all think about the families. And we should keep America strong so it cannot happen again, which I'm happy to say bipartisan administrations have acted to keep America strong, particularly through intelligence sharing, intelligence gathering, uh, tougher use of our military, the use of drones to take out terrorists. We've done a lot of things that we never did before September 11th to prevent the September 12th. And this is why withdrawing from Afghanistan is such a troubling issue now, because we don't know what the future holds. We've lost our intelligence gathering in Afghanistan. Well, that's it. This is exactly it. We've lost our eyes and ears into the place where the attack was planned. And as we saw again when we withdrew from Iraq, once you create that vacuum, it gets filled by Arab, by I'm sorry, by Muslim radicals. And that should be the lesson of September 11th. Never let any radicals reform. But we do have an ongoing threat from Muslim radicals, and we have to be wise to it. That's a lesson. 20 years later. Now, I had reported, this goes back about 20 years, that there were a whole group of Sephardic Jews from Brooklyn that wanted to volunteer as translators for the FBI and the intelligence community, and they were rejected on the grounds as being Jewish. They'd be more sympathetic to the Arabs translating Arabic documents than, let's say, somebody who wasn't Jewish. I mentioned to John Kerry and others, they promised me hearings, nothing ever happened. Uh, were you aware of that, that, that they had the situation where they rejected Jews on the grounds that they'd be more loyal to Israel and translating documents in Arabic? That's the, the first I heard of that. So the argument was they'd be more loyal to Israel. Israel. You, you yeah. said they'd be more loyal to the Arabs. No, I'm sorry, more loyal to Israel than, than oh, to the United And I, I, I mentioned this, it was reported at the time, and we had a shortage of Arabic translators, and we needed it, and they were rejected. 
Oh, this is the first I've heard of that. You know, when I was White House press secretary, there was a professor at Columbia University. His name was Saeed, and he accused me of being a dual citizen. You know, it's, it's that same trope, isn't it? That if you're Jewish and American, that you're loyal to Israel, not America. Uh, it, it's it's old-fashioned bigotry, isn't it? No, but it's unfortunate. There have been cases, about 10 cases of Jews who work for the government, and there were put in suspicion. In fact, one gentleman, Tenenbaum, I've got his first name, had his house raided on Shabbat by the army. Uh, he was cleared by the FBI, never by the army to this date, again, on the basis that he's more loyal to Israel than to the United States. Yeah. You know, you just have to hope for justice in the individual case. What can I say? Um, it's reprehensible, though. You know, the, the, the finger points that people are held suspect merely on account of their religion. Adam Soralski sued the CIA. He was passed over. He was orthodox, and he lost his case against the CIA, but he was passed over because his kids spoke Hebrew. He went to Israel. I know cases of people who were called in for security clearance. They want to know what synagogue he attended. I'm not sure what synagogue you attend has any bearing on a security clearance, but these are facts, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're on it. You know, there's a lot of things like this that don't swirl up to the level of the of the president or the president or the press secretary. Um, the bureaucracies are really powerful. They have their procedures and it really does sometimes take an outsider and a lot of noise to get that brought to the attention of people higher up. No, true. In a few moments, we have remaining. You're a board member of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Jews, for the most part, as we started before, vote Democratic. How do you get more Jews to join the Republican Party? And I think the only group that's been expanding has been the Orthodox Jewish community. Well, actually, it's steadily happening. Uh, George H.W. Bush, when he ran in 92 against Clinton, he got only 11% of the Jewish vote. Um, Dole, four years later, got 16%. George W. Bush got 19% in 2000 and 25%. In 2004, when he was reelected, the high water mark was actually Mitt Romney, who got 32 percent running against Barack Obama. So the percentage of Jews who voted Republican actually tripled from Clinton to um, Romney or from, from Bush to Romney. So it has been moving up. And for Trump, by the way, it was around 25 percent also um, in and I saw by one count, it was about 30 percent in uh, the 2020 election for Trump. So, no, it is going up and that's part of the mission of the rjc to keep having it move up and the, the dividing line really is if you care about foreign policy if that's your first issue you tend to be a republican if you're jewish if you care about a pro-israel stance if you care about abortion if you're fearful of the christian right if those are your motivating issues you tend to be a democrat jewish voter the gap is narrowing and as it narrowed by the way interesting Florida turned safely Republican. Ohio, safely Republican. Those are big swing states with significant Jewish populations where that shift in the Jewish vote has made a big difference. True. But New York, the Republican Party is almost invisible. Yeah, well, it's not that they're invisible. It's just that they're outnumbered three to one. There, <laughs> there's some three million more Democrats than Republicans in New York. be interesting to see in the race to succeed Cuomo. If a Republican candidate can make it, you know, and there's a Jewish candidate running, Lee Zeldin, Lee Zeldin on right. Island. Yeah, uh, Army veteran. And he's a very exciting candidate running for governor. Uh, be really interesting. Maybe with this will be the breakthrough race. I'm hoping so. How about an Ari Flasher running for governor? 
Oh, goodness sakes, never. No, no, tem <laughs> no temptation to run for office? I spent 21 wonderful years in Washington as a staffer, and I loved it all. But I always wanted to be a staffer, never, uh, never a candidate. I'm having too much fun in the private sector. Terrific. We appreciate you joining. We have to have you back again. It's always a, it's a privilege and a delight to thank you for your service and for what you're doing. And I want to wish you and your family a happy and healthy New Year. Thank you very much. And Shana Tova to you and to your family. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to TalkLine Communications Network, America's leading Jewish radio and TV network since 1981. For continuous nonstop Jewish broadcasting, please go right now online to TalkLineCommunications.com. For more information on all of TalkLine's Jewish radio and TV shows, please call 212-769-1925 or email info at TalkLineCommunications.com. Our 24-hour day listen line is 605-562-5174. That's 24-hour day listen line, 605-562-5174. Thank you for listening. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.